I would be remiss to tell our employees, you should have the power to question your doctors. If I didn't tell HR people, you have the power to question your brokers and consultants the same exact way. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, Ben Eubanks here for We're Only Human. I'm so glad to have you here and looking forward to a fun conversation. So I had the pleasure a few months back, goodness, it seems like forever ago now, I was at an event, I was sitting there in the back of the room, listening to a session. I don't always go to sessions. There was one I was kind of curious about and Melissa Cassie was presenting there. She's here with us today. She was presenting on some of the strategy around benefits and supporting our people. And I will tell you that when I worked as an HR leader, benefits is my least favorite thing. And yet listen to Melissa talk about it. I got all fired up in the best way. So I'm hoping today she'll bring that same energy, that same fun, insights, ideas, all that good stuff to all of you. So Melissa, with all that ado, welcome. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I I meant what I said. I really did enjoy it thoroughly. I think I sent you a note on LinkedIn afterwards, like, I've got to have you on the podcast. You're willing to do that. Like that was a great story. So before we get to some of the fun stuff that you've seen, you've experienced, you've been leading some of the changes on, would you take a moment? Let the audience know more about who you are, what you do, please. Sure. So in a nutshell, I like to describe myself as a benefit enthusiast with a salesperson attitude at heart. So I've kind of played on both sides of the fences. I started my career in human resources for an employer's association. So I got my feet wet just answering calls for our members on a variety of different topics and then stayed there for about eight years. Someone dangled $600 in front of me to get my license for health insurance. I was young. $600 seemed like a lot, so I signed up for it. And a few weeks later, I was an insurance broker. And I think that has led to the success in my career because now I've seen both sides. And while I love HR and all aspects of it, my heart is definitely on the benefit side. So I think we complement one another very well. <laughs> You're going to fill in all those gaps that I have. That that works really well. Right, right. That's wonderful though. That's not a common path that you hear from people. I have friends who, one very good friend, Holly, if you're listening, love you, my friend. My friends who are in the benefit space, they don't have that background of going through the broker route or even the experience you had as a third party advising employers on what benefits they had available, things like that. Those definitely would feed into you having a superpower in this area. So I think that now that I heard that part, I might have missed that in your intro before, but it feels like a great way to level up your credibility for everybody listening in. Like it's, Melissa's not just an HR pro, just like you. She's had some other experiences that make her more capable. So when she speaks up in a minute, we need to listen. So that's my <laughs> takeaway there. Okay. So I heard you speak at the conference. You're talking about things like adapting the benefits to your workforce. You talked about things like, oh, we had this frontline population, but also people in the office. And we had all these different nuances and and variables that in the play. And it wasn't just, okay, here's one solution, put it out there and let's take it or leave it. You really took a different approach to that. Would you talk about kind of how you thought through that, why that was a priority for you and the team? Sure. So just to give you some background, the presentation you saw, it was a case study on what we had in place when I started my organization. 
I currently work for a direct marketing company located in 42 states. We have about 950 employees, and we also have a manufacturing center. So those people are on site all the time, and the rest are either hybrid or remote. So I came over to the group three months into the first time ever self-insured plan. And in addition to that, they were on a new benefit strategy platform. So it wasn't your traditional Blues Network or United Healthcare Network where, you know, you have a deductible and the copay and you go to the doctors and you pay it and whatnot. So three months into it, I inherit what I call the perfect storm. <laughs> so a non-traditional benefit plan in place, self-insured for the first time. And now we're just starting to bring people back from the pandemic, COVID. So people haven't been in the office for about a year. So the perfect storm is the best way to describe that. I learned very quickly that the plan was not as expected. And I felt like the first couple of months uh, there, all I was doing was putting out fires and just trying to get employees answers to questions, concerns that they had. So I started in March and in June, we decided to do a benefit survey just to get a pulse for where were people at and the overwhelming majority. So 80 some percent were saying that they hated the benefit plan and they were even willing to pay more just to go back to a more traditional plan. So that speaks volumes because companies either thrive on their benefit package and use it as an opportunity to attract and retain, or they just kind of put it in place because that's what you do. And they really don't care what the employees think. My organization definitely cares what the employees think. And we heard loud and clear that this was not a plan they wanted. And the fact they were willing to pay more just to go back to a more traditional plan was speaking volumes. That is incredible. Goodness. Okay. So I can imagine some of the leaders listening in here, if they did that survey, they may get results where a significant portion of the people are maybe not happy with a new benefit or the way things are going or something else. I'd imagine that takes some measure of strength or fortitude or whatever the right word is, courage to go back to the leadership and say, listen, our people don't like this. We have to change. Any advice for someone else who has to do that same thing? Is it, hey, do a survey so you have data behind it? Is it know your options so you're going back with actual answers, not just saying, this doesn't work, what are we going to do? What advice would you give someone else who might be in that same situation? Right. So I think this is where my sales background comes into play. If you want to get buy-in from senior leadership, you have to come with data. And you have to come with data that's quantifiable, data you can measure. So we had a foundation now. This is what our employees think. This is the percentage. We were able to show you know, how many calls we were taking per day, just trying to fix situations employees had gotten themselves into and no way to get out. And then we looked you know, at some of the soft cost as well. How much time were employees taking away from their actual work to try to get these problems resolved on their own. So to be able to have that data and present it to leaders, plus knowing that there are alternative plans out there where we could get results in savings if they were designed the correct way, that's beneficial. But the takeaway, if you don't have that broker background or that sales background, at least start with basic numbers. And doing a survey, we use SurveyMonkey, so that didn't even cost us any money. And just start very slow. So When we initially got those results, it's not like we were going to change the benefit plan mid-year and just, you know, toss it out. We decided that 
we would take baby steps. You know, what could we start solving right then and there? So first thing we did is we just started doing webinars with the current carrier and opened up discussions for people to call in to do virtual visits and then brought people on site just to do fireside chats so they could say, this is my problem or this is my concern. This is what I'm running into. How do I navigate it? So that started to show employees right from the start that we were serious about trying to redirect and correct the course. That's really encouraging. I appreciate that level of depth, that level of insight there, because that's hard to unwind something like that. We put, I think think about this through the perspective of the HR leaders listening in, just like us, you put your heart and your soul into launching something like this. And if it doesn't go well, you're like, oh gosh, there's no way to save face. There's no way to back up. And I think your points there, your advice on how to do that well can help you to roll that back. So, hey, we did hear you. And we're going to make these changes to the best of our ability. Can we solve everything? No. Is every single person going to be perfectly happy? No. But we'll try to address these needs the best we can. I think that's a really great way to approach that. Okay. So one of the things that I heard you share that I may have laughed out loud, I smiled big for sure, is you talked about the sort of power dynamics with a lot of consultants, with brokers, things like that, where they come in, they say, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'll see you next year. I'm going to collect my fee and see you next year. And you talked about especially for those teams that are overworked, that are short-staffed, that don't have extra HR people lying around, which is probably most people listening here. Like, hey, you can actually push back on them and say, hey, we need this from you. We need a little bit more help. We need a little bit more assistance, a little more education, something else. Would you talk about that a little bit and how you push back and the kind of things you can ask for and can't ask for? Because that for me was like a little of an eye-opening moment because I had never done that myself. And I didn't realize how much power you had as that buyer to push back and ask for some additional support. Yeah. And I think with some people, you have to tread lightly, right? Because when I was a broker, I knew that there were some relationships at the very top, you know, maybe it was a sorority sister or a fraternity brother to the CEO. And Mm -hmm. you just have to kind of work within those parameters. But in other situations, you know, this is one more service that you're paying for to work not only on behalf of you and the company, but your employees as well. And they're making a lot of money off of it. And I would be remiss to tell our employees, you should have the power to question your doctors. If I didn't tell HR people, you have the power to question your brokers and consultants the same exact way. So if they're saying, here's a perfect example. I had someone come up to me the fourth quarter of last year and he said, Melissa, it's great. We're getting no increase this year. And no increase, especially on one of your largest line items, sounds good. But me having that insight on the back, I responded to him, that means they're making more money than they need to on your plan. You know, so what does your loss ratio look like? Or what was your spend if you're self-insured? And coupled with, how big are you? And he said, I have 700 employees. So now I knew that broker was just making an insane amount of money. So they packaged it up in a pretty bow and said, Good news, you have no increase this year. Some people would think that's great. I'm going to go to my CEO and say I'm not going to, you know, have to increase my budget next year. My immediate response was they're leaving money on the table and you have to get to where is that money going? Because that's money you could be investing back into your employees. So just questioning it. Some people attend SHRM chapter events or just other networking events where they're talking with other professionals, you know, see what they're doing out in the field. Question your brokers and consultants. Have we looked at this? Why don't we try this? I've heard this from our employees or I've read this article. They're the experts. 
they should be bringing that to you as well. Wonderful. Okay. I'm taking notes over here. So I'm pausing for like little bits and pieces. The audience is like, what's going on? That's what it is. I'm taking notes because I hope all of you are as well. I'm getting some good ideas here. So, okay. You talked about them being an educator for you. If I'm the HR leader, I need to go to them for what's the latest, what I need to know, make me the expert in my business. But let's pass that on a step past that to how do we educate our workforce? I know you talked when I heard you speak about not just get them all together, share it once and it's all done in the perfect world with skittles and rainbows and unicorns, maybe so. But for the rest of us that live in the real world, people have different shifts. People have different types of benefits. They have different needs that at my house, I'm always the benefits nerd. You probably are at your house if I had to guess. And so if there's a meeting, I've got to be there, not my wife, or I've got to be able to listen to this. And so talk about how we should be educating and putting a plan around that. Because I don't know if you feel like this as well, but it feels like we put all this effort and time into thinking about all the pieces that go into an open enrollment and everything else. It's like, okay, the email went out. Whew. Like take a deep breath and relax. And that's 2% of the education you should be doing. I feel like, tell us there, am I right? Am I wrong? Help out with that. Sure. You're absolutely right. So we learned when, you know, I'm talking about this perfect storm that when they rolled out that benefit package, employees weren't even allowed to attend the open enrollment meetings. So then we had a, aha, this would explain why they're so frustrated and don't know how to use the plan. You know, it was a disservice to them. They weren't able to go ahead and even learn about it. So this past year, we had mandatory meetings. Whether you were planning to sign up, we made it an active enrollment, meaning even if you had those benefits the previous year, you had to physically sign up for the new plan benefits or you weren't going to have them. We kept the open enrollment meetings to a half hour. Some of them went over, but we, we try to be mindful of the production staff, right? And we scheduled 17 meetings throughout the course of two weeks. So many of them were in person, but then we also had virtual visits. And like I said, we're in 42 different states. So we even did you know a few in the evening so we could catch our West Coast people as well. In addition to those live meetings, we also recorded them and put them on a link on a QR code and posted them all over our manufacturing center. So if people wanted to then call it up and listen to it with their spouse at home or if they were on vacation and missed it. And then we kept the recorded presentation on our intranet as well. So people could go back to it and we keep it up there all year because we have new hires throughout the year. So it's a good opportunity for them if they want to do a deeper dive to hear that as well. Tell me what the sentiment is like in the workforce, if you can, to have these things be mandatory, even if someone's like, I just want everything to be the same. I was happy last year. I'll be the same next year, but you're still requiring to do that. Is there a strategy behind that? Is it just like, you need some skin in the game. You can't just give me a thumbs up and then be angry two months later. Like, talk about how employees feel about that. Because I feel like in the past, I'd have some employees like, what do you mean? I've got to come to a meeting. I just want the same stuff. But I think there's a benefit to it probably to say, hey, look, here's two new things that you didn't know about last year. And here's how you can use those to reduce your cost or whatever else. What are your thoughts on that again? So I, kind of telling you as I'm asking you. So it's a terrible question, but sure. so how do you approach that? I guess as an employer, you're yeah. requiring them to do something else. And I want to hear your, th- your thoughts on that. I think a lot of it's going to come down to the culture, right? So we make mm-hmm. ourselves very present to our workforce. They know that they can reach out to me just as easily as they can reach out to their HR business partner, as well as our VP of HR. We're all available. We tell them, look, this is a big spend for you and your family. And one of the things I always start my conversations off with is my job as your benefit manager is to make sure 
you know how to use your insurance and you're not overinsuring yourself. Because sometimes people think, well, I've always had this, but does that still make sense for you? We'll offer to have people bring in their spouse's benefit plan to see what's more advantageous. Do you move the whole family onto our plan? Do you not take our insurance? Do you each select your own plan? And we'll actually explain the pros and cons of that. Again, I'm doing a disservice to our employees if I'm having them pay more for the insurance than what they're actually going to need to use. And one other thing, during open enrollment, the only thing people really care about, and I even know this from my days as a broker, what's my deductible and how much is this going to cost me per paycheck? That's all they care about when you hand them that benefit guide. So throughout the year, we have standing webinars and we found that Friday afternoons tend to work the best. But we have standing webinars where we'll invite different vendors to either do what we call a fireside chat, where it's basically just a Q&A, or sometimes they're presenting on, you know, these are new drugs that are out there, or these are new mental health programs that are out there, just to continuously educate our employees. Sometimes we'll have literally, you know, a dozen or so people join, but we've had upwards of 200 for some of our calls as well. So It's education throughout the year, not just the 30 minutes that they get during open enrollment. I love the approach there and really giving them the chance to dig into that because different populations have different needs, different things they care about. And that allows them to opt into those that they do care about and really set themselves apart. It sets you apart as an employer because you're saying, we care deeply about this stuff. We're spending a heck of a lot on it. We want to make sure you get the most out of it so that you appreciate it too. So I really appreciate that side of it. Um, And Ben, let me add this part real quick. So We're a little unique because we don't have a broker. We have a benefit advisor group that we work with, but we don't have a broker. So oftentimes I'll hear from my HR peers, well, our broker is going to come in and do, you know, three meetings for open enrollment. How well does your broker actually know your population? I remember when I was a broker, one of the presidents of the client I was going to that day for open enrollment said, you better not come in in suits. Because you walk through that door in suits, our employees aren't going to pay attention to you. So if you are leaning on your brokers to go ahead and do those open enrollment meetings, let them know about your population and what to expect. And don't talk above them. I try to break it down and you know avoid all that benefit jargon and acronyms. Bring yourself down to their level. Put yourself in their shoes. That's a great piece of advice. You're given so much. I'll give you a, a little tidbit back here that you'll appreciate. One of the things that when I speak on AI, generative AI and ChatGPT and some of those kinds of tools is anyone can plug in their benefits sort of summary they're going to send out and say, make this readable for X, right? If you have a bunch of people working out in the shop and they've not even all of them graduated high school, they just got their GED, like make this understandable for someone with a 10th grade education and it can rephrase and rewrite some of those things. You need to go back in as a human and fix that. But like some of those things like that, make it tailored to that person. Same thing you're saying here when it comes to, if you have someone come in, don't let them do it cold because it won't land. It'll be a waste of time. Make sure you're preparing them so they can address them appropriately, whether it's what they're wearing, how they're speaking, the things that our employees care about X, it's their big thing. So make sure it's part of the focus here. You can make sure it's worthwhile and everyone gets the most out of it. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So we talked a lot about benefits plans and stuff. Let's shift a little bit and talk one last thing before we start to wrap up here. I heard you talk about the importance of financial literacy, financial well-being, some of those pieces of this as well. And I thought that was just a fun way to take this in a little different direction. Anyone who's listening and thinking about just the nuts and bolts like you've been sharing so far of benefits, they think, 
the different health plans and those kind of things. But there are other things, other types of education, other types of support we can give our people. Would you talk about that and how y'all have looked at and focused on that and made it a priority? Yes. So when we talk about benefits at my organization, we not only talk about the health side of it, but also financial and mental well-being. So we're looking at physical, mental, and financial wellness of the employee. And I always joke and say, what's the point of getting to retirement if you're going to die as soon as you retire? We want you to go into your golden years, able to enjoy your retirement. So it's two-pronged when we address that. From the financial side, we have financial advisors. However, going back to knowing your audience, we call them the money coaches. And we bring them on site a couple times each year. So our employees can sit down with them and talk about everything from, hey, I'm getting ready to reach Medicare age. How do I look at moving on to that? Or I'm looking at retiring or, wow, I'm really scared about what's going on in the market. Do I need to shift my funds? Or I'm looking to roll money over to the plan. I need to take a loan, plan for a child's education, whatever that is. That's their one-on-one time that they can do on our company's time to sit down with a certified financial planner and talk about that and not worry that they're going to be sold a bill of goods. This is just guidance for them. The first time we did it, we offered two days and in 20 minutes, we filled up two full business days for both our virtual visits and our on-site visits. And we had to open up more. That's how thirsty and hungry our employees were for that type of information. So it was successful. So we're going to continue to offer it. The other side is mental well-being. We actually have stop signs all over the organization and on our intranet that says stop the stigma. We let people know from day one that we take mental well-being very seriously, and we don't want them to be concerned about bringing their issues to us so we can get them the help that they need, whether it's themselves or someone in their family. Because if they have something going on in their personal life, they're not able to just leave it at the door when they come into work. So we want to make sure that they're being taken care of and given the resources. And some of the ways we do that is we have on-site chair massages. We've brought in counselors. You know, if, if we've had a death at the organization or there's been announcements of changes happening at the organization, we'll make counselors available to them that they can just kind of drop in and, and have that conversation. The only thing we care about is how many people showed up. So again, we can see our return on investment. Was it worth it? And then we also do pause for pause, P-A-U-S-E for P-A-W-S, where once a month we'll bring in a dog and allow people to just kind of hang out with the dog if they want. It's a structured program. The dogs aren't, you know, there to scare people, but that has probably been one of our most successful programs we've implemented and it's cost us nothing. Mm. Goodness. I feel like I could ask you 50 more questions and keep plumbing the depths of this and finding something else fun to share. But I know I've been commandeering your time already. So I want to wrap this up shortly. This has been so much fun. I've gotten so many good ideas and takeaways here. And it's my hope that everyone listening in as well has really thought through, okay, well, maybe the pause thing won't work for us because of this reason, but we could do the other one, right? We could do this financial coaching thing, or this is a better fit for us. And I think that was one of the big takeaways for me is you've said two or three times here, listen, we know our people. We know how they think, what they need, what they're asking for in these surveys and things. 
And so we're able to adapt to that. And anyone out there listening to this, you are the expert at your business, just like Melissa is at her organization. So if she sounds like she's got it all buttoned up, Melissa, you probably would agree. Like the first little bit, you did not until you got your hands on everything. So everybody else out there, if you're starting from scratch, you're trying to get your, your feet under you, don't expect to do this tomorrow, but know what sort of things are moving that path. That'll be my encouragement there to all of you. So Melissa, this has been wonderful. Are you okay if I plug your LinkedIn profile into the show notes? People can reach out to you and connect there. Is that all right with you? Sure. I'd love that. And I definitely encourage you to follow along because what we do at my organization, I share a lot of it on LinkedIn. Just my network's very important to me. And we're all going to be better professionals by taking tidbits and sharing ideas with one another that we can put at place at our own companies. Well, you've helped a couple thousand of your friends today with this. So thank you again. I appreciate you for sharing and for your insights. Thanks, Ben. Absolutely. To everybody else out there, go out there, make your workplace a better place, a more tailored place for your people, serve and support them well with the benefits that you offer. And we'll catch you again next time on We Are Only Human. Have a great day. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com. 